Good morning, everybody. Glad that so many of you were able to finish the triathlon so quickly this morning. Still make it here. Hope you won. Um, glad to be here with you all. There's just a reminder that the all-church meeting will be on the, the 23rd, Sunday after church, and we'll have food and then go into the meeting. And it's, we only do it once a year. It's an important time if you're a part of Reverence Bible Church to know what's going on here and um, know the business side of how things are going and also just more details of things that are taking place in the ministry. I encourage you to be here. If you have questions, you can write them down. There's an area there in your bulletins where you can do that, and uh, we'll do our best to answer all those questions, and it'll be a, a, a precious time together. If you didn't get a bulletin, you, you need to get one. There's um, a handout that's in there that will enable you to follow a little bit easier this morning. Um, so if you need one, just raise your hand. There might be someone in the front row that was sitting next to me that could possibly use one. Um, if uh, There you go. Yeah. Don't worry, sweetheart. I won't embarrass you or anything. Um, but uh, anybody else? Now that the ice has been broken, you can ask as well. So, bulletins. Ephesians chapter 3. If you turn there with me. And uh, let's come before the Lord in prayer this morning. Lord God, we are so thankful for you, Lord. Thankful for the gospel. We're thankful that we serve a God who loves us as much as you love us, Lord. You have saved us, Lord, through your precious blood. You've given us your word, perfect word, to teach us, to minister to our hearts. You give us the Holy Spirit to mold us, shape us, conform us into your image, and to comfort us and to care for us. Pray, Lord, that every part of this morning would honor you. I pray that you would build us up, mold us, conform us more into your image, Lord. Enable us to be blessed by this prayer, this portion of this prayer in Ephesians chapter 3. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week we began looking at this prayer of Paul in Ephesians chapter 3. We looked at verses 14 through 19, and this morning our focus is going to be on verses 20 and 21. It seemed appropriate to have a separate sermon for verses 20 and 21, but I want to first begin by reading verses 14 through 19, and then we'll look at verses 20 and 21. Paul says, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Then he closes with this incredible doxology, this incredible section of worship here in this prayer, where he says this, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly, 
above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. The text before us this morning begins with, Now to him who is able to do. That is the God that we serve. When you come before the Lord your God, the Lord our God, and you pray to him, we must begin with just knowing that we serve a God who is sovereign. We serve a God who is all-powerful. We serve a God in whom he does whatever he desires to do. There's nothing that's too hard for him. He can answer every one of our prayers. He knows what's best. He knows what's right. He has a perfect plan. There's no one that can stop him. There's a couple texts that I put there to affirm this. Jeremiah 32, 17. Ah, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. There's nothing too hard for you. Or Daniel 4.35, all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? Or Daniel 4, hey, that's a misprint. Uh, Psalm 33, verse 9, for he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He makes the plans of the peoples of no effect. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. He, he does things according to his plan. He's sovereign. He's in control. This should be just a great encouragement to us. We're not praying to a God who's weak. We don't cry out to a God who so badly wants to do things, but there's some things that he just cannot do. So many times I hear people pray, and they're not here, but in other places where, man, they, they make him sound so frustrated. He just wants things. He wants to, to, to change things. If only he could. If only you would help. He doesn't work like that. He doesn't need your help. He uses it in spite of you, in spite of me. He works in us. He changes us. He does these things. He's not pathetic. He is not frustrated. There's nothing too hard for him. There's nothing he cannot do. And so it begins, now to him. Who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Exceedingly abundantly. A sovereign, all-powerful God in whom grace abounds and through whom love has no limits for his people. He does not just bless us a little. Rather, he can bless us in an exceedingly, abundantly, incredible manner. And then he says, above all that we ask or think. Our prayers are limited, and our thoughts are far too small. God will do exceedingly abundantly above in our lives. For our good and his glory, more than we could ever think to pray for, or that would ever even come into our minds 
Not just bigger than some of our thoughts and prayers, but in all areas of our thoughts and prayers. You notice where they're all, above all, that we ask or think. As I was studying this, I started just thinking of the ways in which he's done that. The ways in which God operates. And we, we serve a God who speaks things into existence, right? Creates the heavens and the earth. We serve a God who can, can make Abraham and Sarah have a child when they're nearly 100 years old, way beyond the years of having kids. Because there's nothing that's too hard for him. We, we, we serve a God who can shut lions' mouths, make people stay alive in a fiery furnace. We serve a God who can take the Israelites who were in captivity for hundreds of years and take someone like Moses and use him to call the Pharaoh to let the people go. And when the Pharaoh doesn't want to take his slaves and give them freedom, he can make plague upon plague upon plague upon plague upon plague come upon the people to where they finally say, go, leave, please. And when there's a change of heart and he still wants to have his slaves, we serve a God who can divide the Red Sea, allow his people to go through and then consume the Egyptians, their chariots, their military. It's the way our God works. We serve a God who can calm storms. And when someone calls out and says, if you are willing, you can make me clean, he can cleanse that person of leprosy like it's nothing. He can make blind people see. There's nothing that's too hard for him. He can do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. In my own life, thinking of this, grew up as a, a Christian in a Christian home. I, I was the kid somewhere in elementary school where I started thinking, is this the one that you want me to marry, Lord? And there were times throughout junior high, high school, where the prayer shifted to, Lord, please have this be the one. <laughs> Going into college, is this the one? Make her the one. Miraculously make her like me. Please do this. You can do all things, right, God? Aren't you thankful for all the prayers that he did not answer for you? Aren't you thankful that he did something that's exceedingly, abundantly above all that you could ask or think? As a youth pastor for so many years, you see kids where they're just devastated because a girlfriend or a boyfriend broke up with them. And they just don't know what to do. They're unraveling. It's the worst thing that ever could possibly happen. Their life has stopped. And I'll frequently say to them, hey, I do weddings a lot, a lot. I'll either be at your wedding or I'll probably do your wedding. And I can guarantee you something. When you're there and you're up there with whoever it is that God has for you, 
you're not going to wish it was that guy or that girl. You're going to be so thankful, right? How many times do you just think like, oh, Lord, you're so good. Like, you did not make that happen. And you blessed me so much more than I could have ever hoped for. Tasha and I got married just a little over 14 years ago. And uh, we said when we got home from our honeymoon to the pastor of our church, I met with him saying, we are praying about starting a church at some point. We just feel like that's what God's called us towards. And he said, I knew that we'd have this conversation. I believe that's what God's called you to as well. Let's pray about it once a week until the Lord makes it happen. Awesome, that's a great idea. Week goes by to the day. He calls me. What's your time frame? Because we're going to have a meeting tonight and we're going to have to lay some people off. And we're not laying you off, but if you're going to leave in a couple months, we'll just hold off and then not lay people off. And I, I said... Well, if the elders agree tonight, if, if they believe that we're called to do it now, I, I would just want to get through the, the next couple months of retreats with the youth and stuff. If I could get through August, that would be, that, that would be okay. And it was around this time of the year, 14 years ago. And I prayed. Lord, make them not do this if it's not your will. Everybody says no major changes in the first year of marriage. I just got married. I bought a house. I'm going to be unemployed. (laughs) And I don't even know who's going to come if we start a church. And the elders got back to me that night. We prayed about it. We agree your last check will be for August. Brothers and sisters, I, I did not, I didn't have any idea of what God was going to do. When you think about starting a church in Orange County, not having like money to make this happen, they gave us $5,000. Going and renting out Chirico Hills High School and just praying, like, Lord, what are you going to do? And just praying for provision, praying for God to bring people as he calls them, that it would be a healthy church. Having a passion to proclaim the gospel and to make disciples and to preach the word and to to more than anything, want people to treasure Christ above everything else this world could ever offer as we just behold him in scripture. And the Lord brought people. Four years into it, praying, Lord, Provide us possibly a place that we could be at where we don't have to set up and take down every week. Maybe we could have some place where we can lease it. We begin looking at leasing properties at 20-some, 30-some thousand dollars a month for properties far smaller than this. And pray, Lord, show us where you want us to go, looking at places all over the place. And then this property comes up and they want around $6 million for it. We're four years in. 
price drops nearly in half. The Lord provides miraculously. And we buy this property four years into a church. It was so far above, exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think, at least the way that I prayed. I was not praying for this. Aaron Williams and I went up to his parents' house up in Mariposa, just outside of Oakhurst. Parents have 20-some acres up there, and they have this back part of the property that is unusable, and we said, how cool would it be to put a retreat center up here? And we started looking at it. How could we get water there? What would we do? We could put tents there. Could we make a fire pit? I mean, we just have tents, fire pit. We could do all our retreats up here in Mariposa. It's amazing. Let's just pray that God makes that happen. That would be so cool. What does God do? We now have a camp of 172 acres just outside of Mariposa in Oakhurst. 30-some cabins on the property, swimming pool, 200-foot water slide, rock climbing wall, paintball, soccer field, basketball court, eating hall. And we'll have a couple thousand people, kids, go through there this summer hearing the gospel. That's, that, that kind of stuff doesn't go through my brain as far as like something like that. It doesn't go through my brain. It doesn't enter into my brain. I never thought like, well, let's do that because that would be cool. I was thinking a patch of land and a couple tents and a fire pit. And I still would have been thankful. Still would have been thankful. Going on mission trips... Meeting with the president of Sudan, he says we're free to share the gospel. I just think, how do we share the gospel in Khartoum? Soccer. Can we play your soccer team? If I bring a pro team here, can we play your national team in your national stadium? You're most welcome. Praying that God provides. He provides miraculously. Getting this pro team together, going there, being there and saying, I don't know how the gospel is going to go forward. I know God brought us here. I have no idea how the gospel is going to go forward. But you're in the stadium Play to the glory of God. They know you're Christians. You knock a guy down, pick him up. Don't throw your hands up. Just don't get angry. Don't get carded. Just play in a way that like only a Christian could play. And if that's all they see in the Gospels for us living out Christianity, then praise God, let's do that. Praying that the Gospel go forward, not knowing how it's going to happen. And right before halftime, are you one of the coaches? Yes. No one knows this, but I'm a Christian, and I'm in charge of the television program that it's on. There's 13 million people watching this right now. If I give you a chance at halftime, would you share the gospel? That, that, that didn't even go through my brain. Like, it never even entered my mind that it wasn't going to be simply the stadium, but it was going to be 13 million people over Africa and Asia and Europe, Middle East. Why? Because we serve a God who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Some of you went on our last trip to Uganda. Let's do a little soccer tournament. Share the gospel there. I bet people will come. I'll bring trophies, some balls, some uniforms to give to the winners so they have 
the pro team that's the Christian team there, Calvary FC, and another pro team, they're there. 13,000 people show up. And we share the gospel. Exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think. And I say that for this reason is I'm challenged by this text to know that my prayers are frequently too small. Like when I look at, Lord, can you do this? Would you just do this? I mean, if you could only make it so this happens or that happens or... I know this is asking a lot, but whatever it is. And you know what? When we pray, we could close our prayer with, now to him, Christ, who is able to do, he's able to do, exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Bigger than what could even come into your mind or what you pray for. He can do that. Not some of those things, all of those things. Exceedingly abundantly above all. All. He can enable you to get through a trial and carry you through it. He can give you joy even in the midst of incredible tribulation. We serve a God who... forgives us of sin, joins us into his family as children, as heirs, as joint heirs, eternity with him, above all that we could ever ask or think. According to the power that works in us. Praise God I didn't say, according to you meeting him halfway. Praise God, it doesn't say something like that. If you only keep up your end of the bargain, he could do a lot. If your faith is big enough, he could do so much. <laughs> we already talked about our faith isn't big enough. Whatever we ask or think, he could do way more than that. To have a mentality that looks at God and says, okay, you do it and you do it through your Holy Spirit according to the power that works in us. Look at what Paul says in Philippians 4.12. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I've learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, frequently we look at just verse 13, right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that's an incredible verse to look at. Anything. Whatever God calls me to do, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But notice the verse before. I know how to be abased. And I know how to abound. I've learned both to be full and to be hungry. Both to abound and to suffer need. Meaning, when we say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, it means I can be abased and I can be hungry and I can be suffering need and I can do this through Christ who strengthens me. It's awesome to look at a God like that. 
It's not just make things awesome and bring the right person and make it so our financial needs are provided for and make it so that everything goes perfectly and just make it so that all my life is just so neat and perfect and I want it like this and so I'm going to pray like that. And God says, no, I, I can do all things. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. And sometimes it's going to be being a base and sometimes it's going to be in circumstances where you're hungry. And sometimes it's going to be in circumstances where you're suffering need. And I will work through you. I will enable you. I will empower you to do these things in such a way that I'm glorified. And you're built up. And you're molded and conformed to my image. And, and what I will do in the end of it will be so far exceedingly abundantly above anything that you ever thought. I mean, you wanted it to be perfect, but that was the worst thing ever for you. I knew something that was far better for you than that. Your prayers were so small, you just wanted it to be like this where you were happy. And I wanted you to be transformed into my image. And I wanted to be glorified through your life. And so I'm going to allow this in your life because it is most to my glory and most to your good. And it is exceedingly abundantly above all that you would ever ask for. Anything that you would ever think. Because I'm a sovereign God who works like that. I do things like that. I'm able to do these things. This is the God that we serve. Philippians 4.19 And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. According to the power that works in us, he supplies all of our need. Everything that we could ever possibly need, he does that. This is who we pray to. And then it says, to him, to him, be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. To him be glory. The glory is to go only to one, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to our God. For all eternity, forever and ever, every word of praise, every thought of thanksgiving, every aspect of joy, all of the reverence and awe, all of the worship and adoration, all of our loyalty, all of our admiration, the one who we treasure above all else, the one who is given supreme worth, all of the glory will be solely given to the one who is infinitely worthy of all glory, and that is to Christ alone. Now remember that paragraph best that you can. If you don't remember it, look at it. (laughs) For all eternity. When we praise him. When we're just full of thanksgiving. When we're filled with joy. When we're in a place of just having reverence and awe towards God. Worship, adoration, our loyalty, admiration, treasuring him above everything else, seeing him as being worthy of supreme worth, giving all glory to him, why do we do that? Why does every bit of the praise and the thanksgiving and the glory and the loyalty and all of it, why is it all directed to him? To him. Why don't we take some of them and say, well, I, I had a good mom. Or my dad was awesome. He pointed us to Christ all the time. Or my youth pastor or my neighbor he had such a huge impact on me or 
I'm so glad I got that education. Or I'm so glad I, I did this. Or I'm so glad I did that. Or thankful for all of these different things. Not that we're not to be thankful for them. But even in all of those things, everything is directed towards Christ. He gets the glory. God, you gave me that mom. You gave me that dad. You gave me that sibling. You, you brought me to that church. You worked in my heart in that way. You changed me on that retreat. You are the one who did it. You get all the glory. You worked in mom's heart. You worked in dad's heart. You worked in sibling's heart. You did these things. You did it in spite of us at all. You get all the glory. Every bit of that passionate worship goes to him. In the Otsuji home, we frequently say when we're dropping the kids off at school, as we pray for them, that they would glorify God on that day. That God would use them for his glory on that day. And when I pick them up, I ask them, almost always, how did you glorify God today? That's normal, daily. And then they say, this is how God was glorified. Because I want more than anything for Christ to be exalted in our home. I want them to think that way. How can I glorify him today? How can I please him? How can I do that? And sometimes it's so sweet to see how God does that in the way that they respond. And other times, (laughs) like last week, I show up to school, and Andrew, my just-turned-four-year-old, his teacher says, can I talk to you? And I said, yes. And she said, Andrew is so sweet. I was sitting down playing with a puzzle with him on the ground, and he was playing with my hair. And he said, Miss Wendy, do you need a haircut? And she said, you know, Andrew, I do. I need to do that. Make an appointment. A few seconds later, she hears clip. (laughs) A huge section of her hair on the back of her head, gone. (laughs) Gone. Not like, not like, oh, there's a little, like she showed me it. Sometimes not so much is it <laughs> is God glorified. Um, but he will be glorified in the fact that I guarantee you Andrew will never do that again. <laughs> but what do you do? I had the principal talk to him, and the principal's like, after Andrew left, he's like, he asked permission. <laughs> He was just trying to help. And he really was. He's such a sweet little guy. But I I honestly don't think that he was trying to be mean, nor does his teacher think that. She felt super sorry for him because he was disciplined (laughs) severely. But we want to glorify him. For all eternity, we want to glorify him. There's only one source that we have there's only one that's worthy of such glory and that's Christ if all glory is to go to him 
Now, if you, if you would remember the, the paragraph I told you to remember. If all glory is supposed to go to him, why? And this is what we'll spend the next few minutes on. There's only one source for all-sufficient, everlasting, amazing grace that we so desperately need. And this grace comes upon us entirely through Christ alone. Ephesians 1.7, In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. The riches of his grace. There is only one source for all-sufficient, everlasting, amazing grace that we need. And because it all comes in Christ, all glory goes to him. Right? When it says, him be glorified, all glory goes to him. It is the reason why is because all grace comes from him. It doesn't come from anywhere else. The grace that you'll experience for all eternity, it is sourced in nothing else but Christ. Therefore, all glory goes to him. There is only one source of perfect righteousness that is necessary to be in the presence of a holy God. The perfect fulfiller of the law. The only one who ever loved the Father with all of his heart and soul and mind and strength. The only one who has ever loved his neighbor perfectly as himself. This perfection is in its entirety in Christ alone. And so if we need righteousness, not just a little, but all righteousness, perfect righteousness. There's only one place that we can look. And that's Christ. Hebrews 4.15, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but who was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. He is perfectly righteous. Tempted in all ways, yet without sin. Perfectly righteous. So when we get righteousness placed upon us, when you need righteousness to stand before a holy God, Who should the glory go to? Christ, because he's the only one that could ever give you any of it. No one else can give you any of it. No amount of sit on your bed, Andrew, for the next two days and eat your meals there too. Because you need to learn to discern. Okay, that's solid parenting, just so you know. (laughs) When we go to Boomers on the second day, you're going to watch. Because you cut your teacher's hair. We don't cut teacher's hair. We don't do stuff like that. Pastor's kid. It's embarrassing. No, I'm just kidding. I, you know, honestly, like, it, we thought about it a lot because we, we, we honestly thought, like, he, he didn't, he wasn't trying to be mean. But there's kids that run out in the street and they're not trying to get hurt. There has to come a point where you stop and you discern. And so we discipline him. But you may be thinking, like, dude, you're mean. And maybe it was extreme. However, his righteousness is not based on me or Tasha. Mommy, daddy, disciplining perfectly. Always doing it just the way it's supposed to happen. His righteousness is based on Christ who did everything perfectly just the way it was supposed to happen. Fulfilled all righteousness. He's the only source that we have. Therefore, all glory goes to him, not me. Not Tasha. Not you. It goes to him. When I'm there in heaven, 
and I'm clothed with robes of righteousness, not one ounce of it came from me or anybody else. Therefore, all glory for my righteousness goes to Christ. There's only one perfect payment, the precious blood of Christ, the blood of the Lamb of God in whom there was not a single blemish. The redemption could only come from the blood of a Redeemer who was fully God and fully man. There was only one who was the perfect sacrifice nailed to the cross, and that divine sacrifice was Christ alone. 1 John 4.10, and this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So there's one perfect payment. There's only one kind of blood that will be sufficient to be the payment for my sin and your sin. There's only one lamb without spot or blemish. There's only one sacrifice that is possible, and that is a divine sacrifice, and that is found in Christ alone. Therefore, the payment that I needed, the propitiation, what I needed, what you needed, is sourced in Christ alone. Therefore, he gets all the glory for it, all of it. There's only one who could take upon himself the wrath of God, justly placed on sinful man, and at the same time maintain the justice and holiness of God. Only one can bear for us the curse of our sin and guilt. Only one can be our substitute. Only one could take upon himself our condemnation. Christ alone could absorb the wrath of God. Do you get that? Only Christ. He's the only one that could absorb the wrath and have the Father say, I, I am pleased with that. It's done. There's no more condemnation. The wrath that you deserved has all been placed upon Christ in its entirety. You don't need to go to purgatory. You don't need to suffer just a little bit. You don't need to have a little bit of the wrath of God to come upon you in eternity. All of it was placed upon Christ. It was sufficient, every bit of it. Therefore, all glory goes to him because he's the only one who could do all of it for us and take that wrath. I can't. If I say, okay, just put it on me. I I like that person a lot. Just... Give me double hell. I can't do that. It has to be one who is divine. There's only one who could be our substitute. Only one could take that wrath, and that's Christ. Therefore, all glory goes to him. Galatians 3.13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. He redeemed us from the curse of the law, became a curse for us. There's only one who can forgive. There's only one who can cancel our debts. Psalm 103, verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. And so when we have forgiveness, when our debt has been paid in full, who can we thank? Who does the glory go to? Go to a priest. It doesn't go to good begging. It goes to a God who forgives, and that is Christ. All the glory for your forgiveness will go to him. There's only one who could justify us. Only one who can declare us to be not guilty. And at the same time, declare us righteous. We can forgive someone who sinned against us. But there's only one 
that can not only forgive you, but declare you not guilty. Catch that? It's even bigger. You're, you're not guilty. You who are covered in guilt are not guilty. Rather, you who had no righteousness have now been even declared righteous. Justified, declared righteous. There's only one who could do it. Only one in this universe who could do it, and it's Christ. Therefore, when you're in heaven, and it is said, paid in full, forgiven, not guilty, righteous. The only one in whom you will be able to praise and give all glory to is Christ. Therefore, we do it now. There's only one who can reconcile us with God. There's only one who can cause the veil to be torn in two and bring us to God. Christ alone is the way to intimate fellowship with God for all eternity. Ephesians 2.13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. There's only one who can make it so that we can come near him, approach the throne boldly. The veil's been torn, enter into the Holy of Holies, spend eternity with him and behold his glory. And so when you're there and there's no need for the sun because he's shining in all of his brilliance and you're able to bask in his glory and to see him, the only reason why that happens is because of Christ. Therefore, he gets all the glory. No one else did it. You didn't do it. Family didn't do it. Friends didn't do it. Circumstances didn't do it. Christ did it. He gets all the glory. There's only one who can enable us to serve God and to be a blessing to others. The source of our giftings and the fruit produced through our lives is found in Christ alone. 1 Peter 4.11, if anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies. God supplies it, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Every good thing that you do or I do, or as a church, we use the gifts to minister to one another, whatever fruit comes from our lives, it didn't come from us. It came from the vine, and the vine is Christ. He gets all the glory for it. When someone ministers to you, it's just, God, thank you for using them to minister to me because I needed it right then, but you get all the glory because you gifted them and enabled them and gave them a heart to do that. You encouraged them to stir up the gift that was in them. You did that. You did it, and it's a blessing to me. But you get all the glory for it, God. You did it. There's only one who can work so mightily in our hearts, making us new creations in Christ, changing our affections and our desires, making us zealous to serve him with good works in our lives. Christ alone is the one who is molding and conforming us into his image. Titus 2.14, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Christ did it. When you are zealous for good works, when you look and say, I just want to please him. I want to give myself to him. I want to be used. I want to take the gifts that he's entrusted with me and use it for his glory. I want to be faithful in that. I want to serve the body of Christ. I want to use the gifts he's given me to be a blessing to everybody around me. I want to preach the gospel. I want to proclaim the good news. I want to make disciples. I want people to see God is bigger than they currently do. I want them to treasure him above everything else this world could ever offer. When you are zealous for good works, Christ did it. It wasn't that you just got fired up. You finally came to your senses. Christ did it. He works in you to make you zealous for good works. He does those things. 
There's only one who could cause us to rise again from the, after death. Death has lost its sting. Christ has conquered sin and death. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And he will be resurrected just as, we will be resurrected just as Christ rose again from the dead. Christ alone is our certainty that death has been conquered. Romans 6, 5, for we have been united together in the likeness of his death. For if we have, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. You will rise again from the dead. And when you take your last breath on earth, and it is followed by a breath in heaven, as you've entered into the joy of the Lord, and you see him, and you're there, the only reason why you're there is Christ. The only reason why your body has been resurrected, the only reason this has occurred is Christ. He gets all the glory for it. And there's only one who's gone to prepare a place for us. There's only one who causes us to enter into the joy, his joy for all eternity. There's only one who wipes away every tear from our eyes. There's only one who causes the redemption of our bodies. There's only one who makes it so we can spend eternity with him in heaven. Our everlasting life of beholding the glory of God is due entirely to Christ alone. Revelation 21, and I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he'll dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. And the reason why they say that is Christ. Therefore, all glory goes to him. So in this prayer, when we're reading this prayer, and it says, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him, Christ, be glory. To him, be glory. And the church, by Christ Jesus, to all generations, forever and ever, amen. There's only one. Unto him. That glory is due. Because every blessing that you have in this life came from him. The only blessing that you will have, the blessings that you have for all eternity, the only one in whom it is sourced is him. Everything that you have in this salvation, everything that you have that has taken you from the wrath of God and eternity and hell and making you new creations in Christ and changing you in its enti- your entirety, making you joint heirs with Christ, the bride of Christ, as white as snow, the only one is Christ. Therefore, he gets all the glory. May there not be pride in us. May our prayers become bigger. May we trust in him to do things that are way bigger than we could ever ask or think. And may we glorify him, recognize it is all due to him. No one else. It's all him. Brothers and sisters, he will be exalted in your life. He will glorify himself in your life. And if you're sitting here this morning going, I want to glorify him. I want to just thank him, praise him. It's him alone. And you're saying, it's like, can't we just to take communion and to worship him and, and just to live for him, for his glory, to, just to glorify him and everything. If you're thinking that way, brothers and sisters, it is him that is doing that in your heart right now. Isn't that wonderful? 
his word affecting us like that? And that is the God that we serve. And he tells us to partake in communion, proclaiming his death till he comes, remembering him. Do this as often as you can in remembrance of me. Why? Because these elements, his broken body, his blood shed, it's the only reason why our sins are washed away and we get to spend eternity with him. Glorify him this morning. In the partaking of communion, glorify him. All glory belongs to him. He did it all. You don't have to meet him halfway. He did it all. Through faith in Christ, forgiven of all of our sins. Trust in him. If you're not a believer here this morning, may today be the day of salvation for you. You need a savior. You're in desperate need of a savior. And we know the only one who's able to save you, and that is Christ. But if you continue in your unbelief, please don't partake in communion for believers this morning. So as Christians, let's glorify him this morning through the partaking of the elements of communion and give thanks. Let's pray together. Lord God, we're thankful. You're all-powerful. You work exceedingly abundantly above anything that we could ever pray for or even think of. You know what's right. You know what we need. You work in us. Your power works in us, changing us, conforming us into your image. And Lord, we give you glory now and forevermore. All generations will. Because there is only one in this universe in whom all glory belongs. And that is you. We pray that you're glorified, Lord, as we sing praises unto you and partake of the elements together. In Jesus' name, amen. So thankful for grace. So thankful that we have a righteousness that's not our own. Thankful. The precious blood of Christ was spilled on my behalf. So thankful that Christ has absorbed the wrath of God for us for all eternity. He he forgave us. He canceled our debts. He declared us to be not guilty. And he declared us to be righteous. He's reconciled us with God to where we get to spend eternity in intimate fellowship with him. He began a good work in us. He'll be faithful to complete it. He'll make us zealous for good works and he will make us rise again from the dead. Sting of death's been removed. We will rise again from the dead and spend eternity with him. He's gone to prepare a place for us. He will bring us to himself. And all the glory goes to him. All of it. 
find yourself thankful for the cross this morning? Find yourself thankful for Christ, your King, your Lord, your God, your friend. Two thousand years ago, there he was, hanging upon the cross. Blood shed. Insults being hurled at him. Grace pouring forth from him. Darkness covering the earth. And he absorbed for us all the wrath that we deserved. And he has replaced it with more than we could have ever, ever, exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we could have ever, ever even had hoped for, prayed for, or thought. Whatever is going through your mind right now as far as all the gifts and the blessings that have come to you through Christ, even if all of those verses are being rehearsed in your mind as we just did, It is far above even that. We're just getting a little bit of it. But when you see him in his glory, you will see, say, exceedingly abundantly above anything that I ever thought. And so we partake together in remembrance of him, proclaiming his death till he comes, and he will come. Then we will be made ready because of him. So may we just worship him this morning as we partake. Let's give thanks together. And, uh, and may our hearts just be in love with our Savior. Let's pray. Lord, you, you have blessed us, Lord. When we were dead in our sins, you made us alive. When we didn't love you at all, you first loved us. When we were blind, you made us able to see. When our hearts were hard, you made them hearts of flesh. When we were running away from you, Lord, you drew us near. When we were bound for eternity in hell, Lord, you took the wrath that we deserved and you made it so that we could spend eternity with you. You gave us grace. You gave us righteousness. You've done every bit of it for us. We believe in you. We hope in you. We trust in you. We worship you. We adore you. All of the glory is given to you alone on this morning and for all generations forever and ever because you're worthy of it. I pray that our hearts, Lord, would be proper, thankful, humbled, hopeful, and praising you because of who you are this morning. We take the bread, which represents your body broken for us, and we are so thankful. And we take the cup, which represents your blood shed for us, perfect payment for our sin. No other blood could be shed to be the perfect payment for our sin now and forevermore, and we thank you for that, Lord. So I pray that as we partake, Lord, be in a very worthy manner, remembering you till you come. In Jesus' name, amen. We partake together with me of the bread. Brothers and sisters, let's partake together of the cup. 
in remembrance of him. And now with thankful hearts, let's worship him with one more song with all that is within us. God bless you.